Last week when we started Revelation chapter 6, we encountered the four horsemen. And the breaking of the first four seals representing the beginning of this great day of God's judgment. If you remember, we could summarize the first four seals by saying that God simply removed His peace from the earth. And the brokenness of humanity had no check, had no restraint. And the world was left in increasing chaos and total brokenness. And we jump into the fifth seal today. It's a little bit different seal than the first four. And I want us to jump in there and see what we can see about Jesus Christ. To see Him and to see what He says. Because what we want from this experience this morning is to see Christ because we are reading the revelation of Jesus. And we want to be united around the person of Christ as the people who have decided to follow Christ. We want to be clear on the things that God has made clear so that we are brought together the same purpose and captured in our hearts by who Christ is. Our goal today is to be united, not divided. To be captured by who Jesus is, not confused by the book of Revelation. And so let's dig in and see what Jesus Christ is revealing to us about himself in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I looked under the altar, and the souls of those who were slain on account of the word of God and account of the testimony which they held fast. And they cried out in a great voice, saying, How long? O Lord, the holy and true one, will you not judge and avenge our blood from those who dwell upon the earth? And there was given to them, each of them, a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, should wait for a little while longer until... The number of their fellow servants and their brothers, which were to die just as them, were fulfilled. I have no idea what this looked like to John. I mean, in the throne room of God, he sees an altar of some sort, and under the altar, the souls of every single person who had died because of following Christ. I don't know what that looked like. I mean, I can't even imagine what that looked like. But whatever John saw, it conveyed to him all the souls of those who had given their life for Christ, following Christ, standing for Christ. And so when he saw that, he knew, whatever it was he saw, he knew that he was seeing the souls of everyone who had died for Christ. Now, 
Have you heard stories about individuals who have undergone great persecution and died for Christ throughout your Christian life? Have you heard stories like that? I hear one of those stories and I am completely amazed. I'm blown away by that. I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so challenged by that. I simply cannot imagine what it would be like to see the souls of every single person up until that point in time who had died for Christ, standing for the truth of the gospel, willing to face the threat of death, and then actually dying for Christ. I mean, that had to be absolutely incredible for John to see and experience. And then he hears their voice cry out in unison together. Lord, how long are you going to wait? When are you going to avenge what has happened to us? We followed Christ. We followed the word of God. We gave the testimony of Christ. And we died for you. How much longer until you avenge the blood that was shed from our lives for standing for Christ? Now, if any group in all of history that would have the right to say to Christ, How much longer until you display judgment and justice? This would be the group that have every right to say it. I mean, these are the people that have followed God's word no matter what. In fact, the word used here when they cry out to God and they say Lord or Master is only used this one time in the book of Revelation. It's not used another time. Every other time you see the word Lord for Jesus Christ, it's a different word. This is the only time it's used. And this is a word that is used to describe the relationship between a master and a servant. And they are simply affirming, we are your servants. And so these people have adopted a mentality. They will follow the word of God no matter what. If God's word requires it, they will surrender. If God's word calls for it, they will give it. If God's word promises it, they will believe in it and find hope in the midst of whatever they face. They are followers of God's word. They understand that what Jesus says is worth following with their lives. They call him master. They were willing to give their testimony of how God had changed their lives to anyone and everyone that would listen. And they're willing to give their testimony in the face of hostile opposition to the point where they're not just threatened with their lives, their lives are actually taken from them. And they would not shrink back. They held fast to sharing the testimony of how God had changed their lives. And they gave the ultimate price for the cause of Christ. They laid down their lives and they followed Christ to the death. If anybody had a right to say to God, we are wondering when justice is coming, this is the group. And look what Jesus does. The response to their cry for justice is that each one of them receives a white robe. That's a curious response. Why a white robe? Now notice what Jesus is going to tell them is that they have to wait. So he gives them a white robe so that they might be reminded of how each of them have been forgiven of their sins all their sins 
laid on Jesus Christ who died on the cross for them so that they might receive the righteousness of Christ. The right robes are given to them to remind them of their own experience of God's justice. They're crying out for justice and rightfully so, but what Jesus does is reminds them of their own experience of God's justice. God was just in forgiving these who gave their life for Christ for their own sins because he put on Jesus Christ the penalty for their sins. God was not just towards them in holding them accountable for their sins. God was just towards them in putting their sins on Christ and them accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. They got forgiveness for their sins. The experience of the justice for God, of God in the life of these martyrs was the forgiveness of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And God wants them to remember what justice looked like for them. Because from that vantage point, then they will receive God's encouragement to wait. You can wait a little bit longer. I will bring justice. I am just and you've seen my justice personally. In me taking your sin and putting it on Jesus Christ and him dying for you that you can be forgiven. You've seen that I am just that I am just and the justifier through Jesus Christ, and therefore you can wait a little bit longer. Because there are more people just like you who are going to give their lives just like you for the cause of Christ. What Jesus has told them is that not only are more people going to die for Christ, but the gospel proclamation is going to continue to go out so that people can come to Christ and experience justice through faith in Christ and the forgiveness of sins as opposed to experience justice in the judgment of God upon their sins when there is no more chance to come to Christ. They can wait. This picture in the fifth seal very much represents where each of us are living today. We are living in a moment where God is waiting to display His justice upon all sin. Because we live in a moment in the world today where God is waiting to display His full justice upon sin of the world. That means that right now we're living in a time that's representative of exactly what we see in the fifth seal. That there are more people in our world today who because they've decided to follow God's word and live out the testimony of the gospel of Christ in their life that they will lose their lives for Christ. And we live in a day that because God is waiting for the display of his justice in judgment, that people who hear the message of the gospel will come to Christ. We are still in a time when God's gospel is going out and people can respond to Jesus Christ. That's the time in which we live. God is waiting to display His justice 
so that we might stand in the word of God on the testimony of the gospel no matter what we face and people as a result might come to Christ and experience the justice of God in the forgiveness of God rather than in the wrath of God. That's where we live. But you know as well as I know we live in a world that is opposed to Jesus Christ. And in many places of the world there are individuals who are absolutely experiencing persecution and suffering for standing for Christ to degrees that we simply do not experience hardly ever in our country. In fact, if you, if you were to think about what are the hardest countries to live in today around our world if you're a Christian, one of those would be North Korea, the Sudan, Pakistan, Syria, Iran, These are places in the world that is so difficult to live for Christ and that if you publicly proclaim the gospel, you are likely to lose your life. You are even more likely, if not to lose your life, to give your life in terms of suffering. There's so many places in the world today where being a Christian is not acceptable and there are large numbers of countries in the world who have religious restrictions that are primarily negative towards Christians. The United States Department of State says that over 60 countries in the world are creating persecution by way of the government or by the way of communities against Christians in the world. We are in a world that is hostile towards Christ and guess what? Our country is exhibiting an increasing hostility towards ones like us who say we're going to follow Christ, we're going to follow his word, we're going to share the testimony of the gospel as the only way to salvation. When you hold that perspective in our country, in our culture, there's an increasing hostility against us. Well, what are we to do in the world in which God is waiting to display his justice in judgment and is providing opportunity for followers of Christ to follow the word of God to proclaim the testimony of the gospel and to give their lives so that people can come to Christ what are we to do in a world like this I want to tell you two things I think we can do number one I think we can pray I'm really excited. At the end of March, we're going to start a three-part series on prayer. We're going to take a break from Revelation. In three weeks, we're going to focus in on prayer building up to Easter. I'm thrilled about starting that series. We're going to do some cool things at each of our venues around prayer. And it's going to be an exciting time of focusing in on being a body of believers who pray. One of the reasons why we should be so active in prayer is because God is waiting. He is waiting for people to come to Christ. He is waiting for people to give their lives for the gospel. And we ought to pray. You look throughout scripture and there is this regular pattern of a combination of waiting on God and praying. And if God is waiting for the display of his justice in judgment so that the gospel could go forth and we are waiting for the return of Christ. Our waiting as God waits should be seasoned by prayer. I want to encourage you to pray for people who are facing persecution. Just pick out one of those countries 
and just decide, I'm going to pray for people who follow Christ in a country that is very difficult to follow Christ. I'm just going to make that a part of my life. I'm going to start praying for people who live in places that is really much harder to live for Christ than it is for me. I'm going to pray that they'll stand firm. They'll hold fast to the truth. Pray for people to proclaim the gospel where it's really hard to proclaim it. Pray for people to hear the gospel and respond. So don't just pray for the people who are sharing the gospel in difficult places. Pray for people who are hearing about the gospel to respond and experience the justice of God in the forgiveness that comes through faith in Christ. That includes not just praying for people in other places and other countries, but praying for the people in your circles. A friend of mine told me this last week. He was at a conference and he said that he heard the speaker say these words. He says, if Jesus showed up today and said, I'm going to save the people that you prayed for this last week to come to Christ, how many people would Jesus save? And he said, the air just got sucked out of the room. And they all were challenged to pray for lost people. We need to pray for the people around us among whom God has placed us, who do not know Christ regularly, by name, as a pattern of your life, crying out on their behalf that they might come to know Christ. We need to intercede for these people because we believe God is delaying so that they could come to Christ before the outpouring of His justice and judgment. And we need to pray for those people who persecute followers of Jesus Christ. We need to pray for them. Pray for our enemies and love them. I'd love for you to pray for those who persecute followers of Christ in this way. In light of Saul in the Bible, who we call Paul, he was the chief persecutor in the New Testament. He had approval from the highest authority to go out and persecute Christians. He approved of the killing and the, and the persecution of followers of Christ until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he decided, I want to stop persecuting followers of Jesus Christ. I want to follow Christ, even if I'm the one that's now persecuted. And I want you to pray for the persecutors, particularly in nations where the persecution is the highest. Pray for the greatest leader in North Korea who is opposed to Christianity to be the next Saul. To meet Jesus Christ and to come to Christ and give his life for Christ in North Korea. Pray for more souls. Cry out to the Lord because he is delaying that we might engage in the hope that his delay is with a purpose that people give their lives for Christ, the gospel would go out, and that people where they're seeing the gospel lived out like that would come to Christ. Pray. Second thing I think we can do is adopt a martyr's mentality long before we face a martyr's circumstance. That's what they did. But before they were in the circumstance where they would give their lives, they adopted a mentality that got them to the place they probably thought they could never face and overcome. But it got them to that moment when their life was on the line and they found the way to say, I am not going to deny Christ. I'm going to stand in the word of my testimony. I will follow the word of God even if you take my life. 
long before we get there. No matter what pattern we're going into as believers in our country, long before we ever get to that degree of hostility, we should adopt a martyr's mentality. And this passage tells us their mentality. See, it it ended the same way it began. This is how it ended for them. You followed God and His Word, you're going to die for it. You shared the message of the gospel, you're going to die for it. The two greatest priority in their lives was following the Word of God and sharing the testimony of the gospel. And that's exactly how a martyr's mentality begins. I'm going to follow God's Word no matter what, and I'm going to be faithful to share the gospel. That's more important than anything else I do. I want to follow God's Word. I want to proclaim the gospel. Those are the two necessary ingredients to a martyr's mentality. And if you'll begin to do those two things, follow the Word of God no matter what, and share the testimony of the gospel every time you have opportunity, because those are the two things that are the most important things in your life, then no matter what happens in the future, you will be ready for it. But you got to decide today, before you get into those circumstances, who you are. Are you a follower of God's word? Will you proclaim the gospel the rest of your life? I want to encourage you in terms of following the word of God. Here's what I don't want to happen today. I don't want us to hear about Jesus Christ opening the fifth seal And talk about following God's word and sharing the gospel with people around us. I don't want us to talk about that today. And think about what it was like for John to see the souls of everyone who died for Christ. And be amazed at that experience. Encouraged to follow Christ. I don't want us to go through all of this. Leave today. Then come back next Sunday. And literally nothing have changed in our life. That would be the worst possible thing that could happen today. It's for us to hear this message from Revelation, leave today, come back next Sunday, and nothing to have changed. I'm convinced that John was not left the same when he saw and heard all the souls of those who gave their lives for Christ, crying out for justice. I don't want to be the same either. So when it comes to following God's word, here's where it begins. It begins with the decision, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he says, and I'm going to follow him, whatever it is. Wherever he calls, whatever he says, whatever the Bible says, whatever he wants, I'm going to follow Christ. That's where it all begins. You can be here this morning and you can literally know nothing about the Bible and nothing about Jesus except what I've just told you, and you can make the decision I think Jesus is worth following, and I'm going to follow him and what he says the rest of my life. You can be here this morning and say, I don't know enough about God's word to know how to follow God's word, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow Jesus Christ because he's the one that is the only way for me to have life and salvation and forgiveness of sins, and I want to experience God's justice like that. And you can make that decision today. And then when you make the decision to follow God's word, no matter what, then you've got to decide to actually begin to open God's word and read it. If you don't know what to do, where to start, how to do that, you know what? You have a church right here full of pastors 
and people who are ready to help you know how to follow God's word. All of your pastors here are, would love to help you follow God's word. There are small groups you can get into. There's a small group every Sunday morning you can jump into that helps you follow God's word called life groups. There's a small group that happens outside of the church building during the week called home groups. You can get involved in a home group. They're going to teach you how to follow God's word. You can get involved in the, in the myriad of Bible studies that we offer for men, women, for groups, for couples, and they will help you follow God's word. There is tons of opportunities for you to learn how to follow God's word. There is no reason why anybody in this room who says, I want to follow God's word should not be able to follow God's word. We're here to help you. And so if you're going to decide today, I want to follow God's word in my life, and you want to use the benefit of the church and begin to do something in your own life, I would encourage you this week to start reading God's word. You can pick an area like the New Testament in the Gospels, which is the first four books in the New Testament. The New Testament's the second half of your Bible. Just go to the second half, look for Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Start in one of those Gospels. They are the story about Jesus Christ. You begin to read that, and you begin to develop a pattern of reading God's Word. Here's the key. If you're going to follow God's Word, you have to have a pattern of God's Word in your life in order to follow it. It's not possible to follow God's Word if you don't have a pattern of getting God's Word into your mind and heart. So here's what that looks like. Let's say you've not read God's Word, maybe ever. And this week you decide, I'm going to start reading God's Word. And so you open to the Gospel of John on Monday and you read the first chapter. And you think to yourself, I don't really understand much of what I read. But I do understand that Jesus Christ made everything. And that He came so that I could know Him. I understand that. And if, and if you understand that, then here's what you can, you can do with that. Okay, if that's true about Jesus, what does that need to look like in my life? If Jesus Christ made it all and that he came so that I could know him and follow him as the one who made me, then what is it I need to do this week? I need to trust him and continue to get into the word he gave me so that I can know him. So that's what I'm going to do. So tomorrow I'm going to get up. I'm going to read God's word a little bit. I'm going to read chapter 2. And guess what? If at the end of the week you were able to read God's word Monday and Tuesday and you never read it again the rest of the week, here's what you should not do. You should not get to the end of the week and say, two out of seven is failure. I really did a terrible job. Because if you think that, you're going to buy into a lie and you get so racked with guilt that the next week you probably won't even try again. No, instead, just think about, hey, I read the Bible two times this week. That's more than I've read it in the last two months combined. And I've started the direction of a new pattern. So guess what? I'm going to read the Bible again this week, and I'm going to shoot for two times because I want a pattern of getting God's Word in my life. And guess what you might do? You might do three times. And then the next week you might do four, and then the next week you might do two. 
But don't beat yourself over with a two. Say, I'm still headed in the direction of creating a pattern of God's Word in my life. And here's what's going to happen. If you'll keep doing that as many times as you can in a given week, putting God's Word in your life, noticing something about Jesus Christ, and if you believe that and cling to that, what is that going to do in your life? If you do that every week, week in, week out, over the course of months and over the course of years, you know what you're going to find? That there is nothing more security filling than the Word of God. There is nothing more incredibly amazing than the truth of God's promises that you can hold on to and trust. There is nothing more significantly changing in your life than the Word of God. I'm telling you right now that if you put the Word of God in your life as a pattern for the rest of your life, you will be amazed at the life that that brings into your heart. But it's got to start somewhere. And then it's got to become a pattern. And then it's got to translate into following him. Follow the word of God. And then you got to tell people about Jesus. If you're going to adopt a martyr's mentality, you got to actually talk to people about Jesus. You know, when I, when I begin to talk to people about talking to people about Jesus, it's very typical that we begin to think about the same things. We start thinking about what we are afraid will happen if we try that. I'm afraid that this friendship I've been building will be crushed because if I tell them about Jesus, they're not going to like it and they're not going to be my friend anymore. I'm afraid that I'm going to say something wrong. And if I say something wrong about something this significant, they could go to hell because of me. You know, we, we make up all kinds of crazy things out of fear. And we also deal with a sense of inadequacy. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to start the conversation. I'm not sure exactly how to work this out. I don't know how to talk about Jesus without feeling weird about it. I'm not even sure I can answer half their questions. I don't even know what to say. And we have a sense of inadequacy. I just want to tell you, fear and inadequacy, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people around us, is pretty much common to everybody. We all experience some level of fear and inadequacy when it comes to sharing Christ, even me, all right? I've been sharing Christ with hundreds and hundreds, I don't know how many people through the years, but I still have these moments of feeling like, man, I don't know if I'm going to do a good enough job here. I'm afraid of what might happen or having excuses that center around fear and inadequacy. They're common to all of us. But here's the thing. I think those two things, fear and a sense of inadequacy can be viewed as gifts from God. When I step into a situation where I get to share the gospel with somebody and I feel any fear or sense of inadequacy, that can remind me of the significance of that moment. Because I, I don't feel fear and a sense of inadequacy when I decide to talk to somebody about the Dallas Cowboys. I don't sit there and think, oh, what are they going to say if I say something about trading Tony Romo? <laughs> I just don't know enough about how NFL works to be able to talk about it. What if I say something wrong and they actually like the Redskins because of that? <laughs> I don't ever do anything like that with football. No fear, no system of inadequacy. I just throw it out there. Why? Because that's not significant. 
The most significant thing we can gauge in with our lives is proclaiming the gospel. That is the reason God is delaying, so that his people might proclaim the truth. And the significance of the gospel coming out of your mouth cannot be overestimated. And every time you feel afraid and inadequate, let it be a reminder to you, this is the most significant thing I can step into. Nothing more important than this. Fear and inadequacy can be a gift to you because fear and inadequacy that is often common at some level to all of us can push us to trust Christ. Did you know that when we share the gospel, people don't come to Christ on the strength of our wisdom, intellect, articulation, our abilities. They come to Christ because of the power of Jesus Christ in the gospel. So if I'm afraid and I feel inadequate, that's a good thing. Because now I will be moved to trust Christ. And in the disposition of trusting Christ, the Holy Spirit can work through me so that people will see the strength of the gospel and not be distracted by my attempts to be something other than I am. I am simply a fellow sinner, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, not bearing my own merit before you, but the merit of Jesus Christ who will rescue anyone who calls upon him. I'm just coming as a servant to tell you about Christ. I'm depending upon him to bring you to the realization of your need for him. It can drive you to depend upon Christ. What we've got to decide is that we want to follow his word and we want to tell others and we want to use whatever's coming in terms of fear and inadequacy as reasons to trust Christ so that we might share Christ. And when you decide that you want to live by a martyr's mentality, I want to follow God's word no matter what. I want to share Christ because there's nothing more important in my life. You know what you're going to do? You're going to press right past fear and inadequacy. You're going to experience the joy of Christ in living out your highest calling. There is no greater joy. So when you leave here today and you see that little sign that says entering your mission field, you think about being a fragrant aroma of Christ in every place. And Monday hits. And you got more on your plate than what you anticipated. And you get to the end of the day and you think, I did not read God's word. I didn't even think one time about telling somebody about Christ. Tuesday, open your Bible. And be reminded. God has displayed his justice towards you in laying all your sin on Christ and giving you his forgiveness. And then look for an opportunity on Tuesday to share Christ and step right into that opportunity, right through the fear, right through the inadequacy, depending on Christ to work through you. And just tell somebody what God has done in your life. Tell them. Tell them when you realized you needed Christ. That's a great way to start your story. Hey, I want to tell you about a time in my life I realized I needed God in my life. And then tell them about your decision to follow Christ. Here's how I decided to follow Christ. This is what it looked like for me. This is how I made the decision to follow Christ. And then tell them what difference it's making in your life today. 
because I made that decision, let me tell you what's happening in me today. God's continuing to change my life. I'm finding ways that I need to be more like God intended me to be, and he's gracious and patient with me to help me change. And you tell your story. And you just ask them, do you have a story like that? Would you like to have a story like that? If you need a tool to use, you can use this, this concept of three circles where you talk about God's design. Everybody recognizes that things are broken in the world. There's nobody that I meet that thinks the world is the way they really want it to be. Everybody recognizes the world is broken. It does not reflect God's perfect design anymore. And the reason it doesn't reflect God's perfect design anymore is because of sin. Sin entered the world, and every one of us has made choices that are very selfish. We didn't care about others. We've done something wrong to offend the glory and the holiness of God. And sin is brought into the world brokenness. And that's why we live in a broken world, because of each of our sins. And here's what we do in our own power. We try to come up with a remedy for our own brokenness. And what happens is when we try to take care of our own brokenness and fix our own problems, we end up just making bigger problems. We all got a story like that, don't we? And what God did in his grace is he said, I have a solution for your brokenness. You can't find it apart from the gospel. The only solution for your brokenness is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose again from the dead, so that anyone places their faith in him, they will be saved. They'll be forgiven. The Spirit of God will come live in them, and they'll have a new life. They can follow the Word of God, and they can be a testifier of the grace of God. And the way that you get the gospel into the middle of your brokenness so that it cleans you up is by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. I'm turning away from my own attempts to fix my brokenness, and I'm instead trusting in Jesus Christ to rescue me by way of the gospel. And when that happens in us and the gospel takes root in us, it makes us alive, brings us back from the dead. And now we are alive to now pursue and recover God's design for us. You know, the greatest way that we experience the recovery of God's design is to follow God's word and to share the message of the gospel. There is no greater way to spend your life because there is no greater life.